Radio Influence. The future is now. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Today is Tuesday, July 24th, 2018, and it is good to be back. I was off last week. I had a very busy schedule. I flew out to Cali on Sunday. I was out there Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Of course, I couldn't be on the air last Tuesday because I was in Cali. I flew back from Cali Tuesday, 5 p.m. Cali time, which is 8 o'clock Atlanta time. Landed here at about 12.45 in the morning. Thought I was going to take the little air tram to domestic baggage claim out to the MARTA station so I can catch the train and get home. Unfortunately, the train was actually not working inside the airport. So it literally was about a two-mile walk slash run just to get to the MARTA station. Ended up missing the train. The last train out leaves at 1.18 uh, or 1.20. Uh, I got there at like 121, so I missed it by just a minute. So I ended up having to take an Uber. So got in about 2.30 in the morning, had to go into the office for my day job that morning, about nine o'clock, then came home, packed the bag, got right back on the plane, headed to New York Wednesday night, uh, had some things to do Thursday. Thursday, I was on uh, NPR talking about gang violence in New York. That, that was Thursday morning, of course, Thursday afternoon, hosted Law and Crime. Friday, hosted Law and Crime from 12 to 3. And then Saturday, Saturday morning, I was actually in studio at Fox, Fox News, talking about a war on police. Of course, this was a panel interview for those of you that got to see it. So, of course, anytime you're doing a panel interview, you only get a few minutes to talk, well, really a few seconds to say what you have to say because they have to go through the entire panel, but we've talked about a war on police on this podcast before. We're up to 33 police officers killed in the line of duty this year by shootings. That's already up 11 from last year. We're only in July. There was another officer shot recently today that may not survive. So there's a lot going on with this war on police. And my take on it, when Griff Jenkins asked me the question of, you know, what's going on? Why is this happening? It's the same thing I've said here. And I've said I said it on a national level on Fox News. It's the mainstream media painting police to be one certain way and not reporting accurately, saying that things only happen in a certain demographic, which is totally false. Numbers don't even suggest that. So until we start telling true stories about what police are and what they do, you'll continue to see this war on police. Not only that, police nowadays are so slow to react because they don't want to be the next person on CNN. They don't want to be the next person liable to lose their job because they were acting in accordance with policy, but their brass doesn't support them because they want to appease certain communities. So you have less officers reacting or they're reacting slowly. You have a lot of officers being less proactive, which we've talked about on this show. And you have A lot of officers leaving departments in droves because everyone is tired of the political rhetoric, the media rhetoric that we see 
dealing with police. So this war on police, in my opinion, just like I told Griff on the show, unfortunately, I think we're going to continue to see an increase in attacks on police because everyone is emboldened by this this latest trend of police being the bad guy that they know, oh, well, this officer may not react fast enough or may not use force against me because they don't want to be on CNN because I fit a certain demographic or a certain race. They're not going to do this so I can take advantage of that and I can get the drop on this officer and kill him. And let's not forget there's always that theory of, oh, an unarmed person is not a threat. Well, one of those 33 officers that was killed this year, actually last week, was killed by his own gun by a quote unquote unarmed person who actually picked up a very large rock and beat the officer across the face before he took the officer's gun and shot and killed him. So again, it goes back to that whole mass media misrepresentation, the mass media fake news, if you will, that police only target certain people and certain people are not threats to police because they're unarmed. It's total BS. It happens. And this war on police will continue to escalate until we start telling the truth. Now they're saying that this group Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist, what I think it should stand for is anti-free America. So there was one guy arrested who's one of the main corporate culprit and Antifa who was actually selling bomb instructions to other Antifa members. I don't know if he's selling or just giving it away. Bomb instructions to go bomb police officers, police stations, police vehicles. So when I think of bombings and when I wore a green uniform that said U.S. Army on it and I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But when I hear bombings, what I think about is Afghanistan, right, where it's typical for an average citizen to just be walking down the street and then boom, a bomb goes off, right? So when you say you're just going to target police, that's impossible. Let's say you place a bomb in a police station. Guess what? There are civilians in those police stations, whether it be the secretary, the janitor, just someone coming there to file a police report. There are American civilians there. Let's say you bomb a police car. Guess what? That 95-year-old grandmother that happened to be walking down the street is now blown up too. So when you talk about Antifa and how radical left they are, when they say they're anti-fascist, I say they're anti-free America because if you fear walking down the streets of America, Because you may be bombed, that impedes on your freedoms as an American citizen. So it's no wonder Antifa is looked at as a terrorist group. Now, not only have they incited violence at rallies, now they're saying we're going to make bombs and go blow up police stations. To me, that impedes on my freedoms, my freedoms to move about my neighborhood in my country freely without fear of being blown to pieces like some third world country like in Afghanistan or in Iraq or somewhere in the Middle East where it happens frequently, Assyria, you name it. This country, you're supposed to be able to walk around freely without fear 
of terrorism. That's it. This is America, the land of the free. But when you walk in fear, that's not freedom, my friends. Think about that and let it sit in. All right, I want to switch gears. I want to get back to something really quick. I talked about law and crime and hosting law and crime Thursdays and Fridays. I don't remember if I mentioned it here on this show, but we started an entirely new segment that I'm proud to say I'm actually hosting and contributing to. It is the cold case spotlight segment on the Law and Crime Network. And essentially what I do, find victims or victims' family members of crimes that have been unsolved. We've already had two episodes. I'm working on the third episode that we will actually tape this Thursday. But it's pretty interesting. It talks about cold cases. Everyone likes a cold case. The first case I had on was uh, the murder of Jaquetta Thomas. Now, what makes that interesting is Jaquetta was killed way back in 1991. There was a guy, Greg Taylor, who was arrested in 91, convicted in 93, served 17 years in prison just to be found out. He was totally and without question, completely innocent. He maintained his innocent for innocence for 17 years. So DNA that was actually recovered from the crime scene cleared Greg and his co-defendant who was never charged in Jaquetta's murder. He got out in 2010. Here we are eight years later. The case is still unsolved. So that's a cold case. So I had her sister Yolanda Thomas on and you can go to lawandcrime.com and look up the cold case spotlight. And the one that actually aired today, as a matter of fact, was a case here in Atlanta. Athena Curry, 20 year old mother of a 16 month old who mysteriously went missing, supposedly, according to her boyfriend, after a fight that they had at 3.30 in the morning. Now, because she had found pictures of another female on his phone. The problem with that is that was Memorial Day weekend, not Memorial Day weekend of 2018, Memorial Day weekend of 2011. So Athena Curry, this young mother, 20 years old, who had basically an infant son, toddler son at home, leaves the house at 3.30 in the morning with just shorts and a tank top and has never been seen before. Her cell phone has never pinged after that. Her credit card was never used after that. So we can assume, and by the way, there was a history of domestic violence. Yusuf, her boyfriend, had actually tased her on the day she had their baby. He tased her in the hospital just a few days before she went missing. He actually was pulled off of her in the street while he was standing over her, choking her almost to the point where she blacked out. But his story is she left the house 3.30 in the morning, boom, He's never seen her before or since then. But, you know, makes you wonder. He's the last person to see her. And they had a history of domestic violence. And it's only his story that she left the house. So, again, longcrime.com. Check out the cold case spotlight. I'm working on one pretty big for this week that I taped Thursday. Uh, actually, a friend of mine that I've known for 20 years I didn't realize until I posted on Facebook, hey, if you have a cold case you'd like to spotlight, that his father was actually killed way back in 1981 while he was working as a night clerk at a hotel in Macon, Georgia. So that's this Thursday. We're going to tape it. It will actually air and be posted the following week. So longcrime.com, cold case spotlight. Now, switching gears and getting back to business of Beyond the Badge. Now, when I was in New York, 
this past week, Friday evening, uh, I just uh, finished recording, doing a live podcast with a group of people. And we're outside, we're talking, and the the guy that d- does the music during the, the podcast, uh, black guy, New Yorker, uh, he knows I'm an ex-cop, so he tries to engage me in this conversation about cops killing black people, and there were a few times where the Federal Reserve Police passed by while we were standing outside just talking. He's like, oh, oh, guys, we need to move, we need to move. I'm like, why? He's like, well, that's the popo. He's like, well, first of all, we're not doing anything. Secondly, that's the Federal Reserve Police because we were in Wall Street. So, of course, the Federal Reserve is over in the Wall Street area. I said, and secondly, that's the Federal Reserve Police. They have no jurisdiction on the street, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, it's all the same for us. They'll harass us. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I blew it off, blew it off. So then he starts to talk to me about this guy in New Jersey who, this black guy in New Jersey who was shot by white police for only holding a box. And the police lied and said that it was explosives. And I'm like, nah, I never, I haven't really heard, heard about that. Um, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I hadn't heard about it, hadn't made the news that I know of. But I said, in all fairness, I don't watch the news much because I do enough of it. So right before I actually started this podcast for tonight, I go on policeone.com. That's where I find a lot of the topics I want to talk about. And I guess this occurred uh, in New Jersey. There was a guy, black guy, who was shot by police back on July 14th, according to this body cam footage. And there was an allegation of an explosive. But the way the story was told to me, the guy simply walked up to an officer holding a box and they shot him and lied and said it was an explosive. Like, eh, I don't know if that would really just go down like that, right? So I pull it up. There's 26 plus minutes of 26 minutes, 35 seconds of body cam video. So, A, it tells me they didn't just walk up and shoot the guy. B, it tells me that they did have reason to believe that he was carrying an explosive. Because, guess what? They didn't make this up. This is what he told them. And C, it tells me they tried to de-escalate this situation for at least 26 minutes before before they had to use what they believed to be deadly force based on the individual's actions because he told them he was armed with an explosive. He's seen on body cam with a shirt wrapped up around his arms and his wrist. And he keeps saying, I'm going to pull this out and blow us all the fuck up. These are his words, not mine. So, as he approaches the officer, guess what the officer assumes is about to happen? That he is about to be blown the fuck up. Because, again, his words, not mine. So, the officer, or maybe officers, open fire. He drops. He's hit three times. Now, here's the kicker. The officers aimed center mass. He's hit three times. He continues to fight. So, to all of those naysayers who say if you shoot someone in the leg the fight's over they'll stop this guy was shot three times center mass 
He continued to fight. He was then pepper sprayed. They then had to use a canine on this guy. So that tells me he was on some kind of narcotic that made him pretty invincible at that time. Now, he later died. So hence the racial portion that white cops killed this black guy for no other reason than having something in his hand and walking towards the officer. But that is not true. If you want to see the video, go to police1.com. You can search it. Watch the entire 26-minute, 35-second video. But I do want to play some audio from that because I think it's crucial here. And then I will come back and talk about it more. Alright, I need you to stay calm. Alright, Roger, thank you. Just stay calm. Be in my head, that's what you better do. Anything else other than that, blow my brains out. A couple shots to the head other than that, a couple of us go on regardless. I can't. He said he's got a bomb. Get back. Get Well, there you have it. So you just heard the gunshots right at the end of that audio. Again, this is 26 minutes and 35 seconds. So, of course, I had to fast forward through it. And I know some of the audio was difficult to hear from that officer because he was yelling so much into his mic that it came out distorted. But there were a few things he just said there. Stop walking. Stop walking. And on the body cam, you can see him walking towards the officer. Now, again, this guy has said he is armed with some type of an explosive. You heard the officer tell someone to get back because he says he has a bomb. So the officers have no reason to believe otherwise that this guy is armed with a bomb or some type of explosive device. You even hear the officer, this white officer, telling this black guy, don't make me shoot you. 26 minutes of attempted de-escalation before he was shot and you heard at the beginning of that audio where he's like you guys are just gonna have to put two bullets to the head because anything else anything other than that i'm taking a few of you with me as in he's gonna let off this grenade whatever it is and blow everybody up even after he's shot watch the video if you can watch the video the entire video don't watch the edited version that you may find on the news go to police1.com and watch the video after he's shot, he's still on the ground fighting with an officer. Officers are actually retreating because the item in his hand, he still did not drop. So they are still under the impression that this is an explosive device. Again, he was shot three times, pepper sprayed, a canine was used, all before he was apprehended and placed into custody. So again, shoot him in the leg, pepper spray him, use a taser. Do all of this stuff doesn't work all the time if someone's under the influence or someone's having a mental episode. Now, let me give you a little further of this backstory. The guy had called, mentioned his girlfriend, had just left him. Hmm. He really says he had nothing to really 
live for at this point. So guess what? This guy's probably thinking he wants to die. So when he kept saying, you're going to have to shoot me in the head, he knew if he got shot in the head, he's going to die. He didn't say shoot me in the chest, shoot me in the leg, shoot me in the arm, try to shoot this bomb out of my hand like they do in the movies. He said several times, shoot me in the head. So you know what that tells me based on my experience and my training is this guy wanted to do suicide by cop. But the way it was told to me last week in New York was that this innocent black guy who just happened to be walking up to police with an item in his hand was shot for no reason. That's why I always tell people, learn stuff for yourself. Research stuff for yourself. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say if I was one of those responding officers and given the information that the suspect, not a third party, not someone down the street, not his grandma, not his baby mama, the suspect was telling me as a responding officer, I have a grenade, a bomb, or whatever he said it was, and I see both of his hands wrapped in what appeared to be a shirt, a towel, I don't know what it was on the video. Guess what I'm going to believe is going on? That this individual does indeed have a bomb or a grenade or something like that. Because I got to take his word for it. He's telling me to shoot him in the head. He's telling me all of this. You cannot de-escalate that situation once it gets to that point. Once he started approaching that officer after the 26-minute mark, and he's approaching that officer in an aggressive manner, there is, there is no de-escalation after that. That's the problem. Everyone assumes you can de-escalate at any time. Well, the officers attempted to de-escalate for the other 26 minutes when they got there. Not only were they trying to de-escalate, they were stopping traffic because they believed it was a bomb. And people that would try to walk by, they would divert them. You heard them say, get back. He says he has a bomb. So there was so much going on there where this guy had 26 minutes to prevent himself, to prevent himself from being shot and killed. That's why I tell people, learn it for yourself, research it for yourself. Don't take what CNN says. Don't take what MSNBC says. Don't take what social media says. Go out and get the facts for yourself. Now, to be clear, he wasn't armed with a grenade or an explosive device. Okay, the officers, again, based on the suspect's words, not the 12 disciples, not his daddy, not his third grade teacher, not his homie, the suspect told officers he was armed with an explosive device. Now, what was under that shirt or towel, or whatever it was, was a pair of garden shears. Uh, it was a shirt. So it was a pair of garden shears, right? Now, think about this. Garden shears are made to do what? Cut. That's what they're made for. They're like a huge pair of scissors. So as he's approaching this officer and the suspect knows he has garden shears, the officer assumes it's a an explosive device. Let's say he did try to 
convince or trick that officer into de-escalating. Guess what? He quickly flips the shirt off of his arms and he lunges at the officer with these garden shears. Now, the result probably, no, correction, the result would have been the same because the officer at that point still would have been met with imminent serious bodily injury or death and you cannot de-escalate that in that exact moment and this individual would have been shot. Now, he may, may have taken an officer out before he was shot by other officers there on the scene because we all know the seven-foot rule when you're dealing with edge weapons, but luckily this officer already had his weapon out, already in the drone drawn position, already locked in on his target, which was the suspect. So when he moved towards him, he had no choice. I don't care what anyone says. This officer had no choice but to react with deadly force. So there's going to be some that argue, well, he didn't have a bomb. They shouldn't have killed him. They should have tased him. Well, they pepper sprayed him and a canine bit him and he was shot three times. And he still fought. So what do you think a taser would have done to this individual? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Look how many people have gotten tased and it's had no effect on. So for all of those that say, well, they shouldn't have shot him because he didn't have an explosive device. Well, let's do an accountability check. He didn't have an explosive device, but he had what I would consider a deadly weapon If he lunged at an officer and let's be clear, cutting objects go through bulletproof vests. So let's debunk that argument right now. Oh, we got on a bulletproof vest. Cutting objects go through Kevlar. That's a fact. And let me flip it around another way. The bulletproof vest, for those that still believe cutting objects don't go through Kevlar, doesn't cover your entire torso. There are Areas exposed on your upper torso, your lower waist, that the vest does not cover. And it only takes that one little spot for that cutting object to go in and that officer bleeds out in the street. And had that happened, had this guy been subdued, I wouldn't have heard about it in New York from this music guy on this podcast. I wouldn't have heard about it because... It doesn't fit the agenda that the mainstream media continues to push. Why didn't I hear about all of these officers, these 33 officers that have been killed in the line of duty on the mainstream media? But every time someone who, based on their actions, their actions, their actions, every time someone based on their actions in a certain community or a certain demographic, or a certain economic status, every time they encounter police and their actions cause the police to use force, including an up to deadly force, we hear about it on the mainstream media. And the mainstream media doesn't at least tell a fair and accurate story, which is really the job of a journalist, by the way, to be unbiased. At least that's what I always thought a journalist should be to tell an unbiased story of what really happened. Yes, the individual was shot, but he also said he was armed with a grenade. 
and it turned out to be a large cutting weapon. But the way it'd be told was an unarmed man was shot and killed by police. And that's just not the facts. That's just not the facts. So back to this war on police. The war on police is more than police just being killed or hurt in the line of duty. The war on police stretches into degrading their entire image that you get to the point where nobody in society trusts them. Nobody in society wants to deal with them. Unless, of course, the stuff hits the fan, then everybody wants the police there. The war on police, think about it, let it sink in, is more than just the physical assaults, the murders of police. It's also degrading and destroying the entire image of what a police officer is. And a police officer, to me, is someone that protects and serves. A police officer, to me, is someone who gets shot in Dallas at a rally for people protesting against me. A police officer, to me, runs into a building that has 200 plus floors that's on fire because it just got hit by a plane and one just fell, but you're still running into that building to try to get people out. A police officer, to me, is someone who, to this day, because of that tragic event on 9-11, are dying, are finding out they have cancer. I have a very dear friend that I was on Fox and Friends with this weekend, a retired NYPD detective. She literally had surgery today on a tumor they found in her knee related to 9-11. To me, that is a police officer. But that's not how we hear it. We hear police shoot unarmed black man holding a shirt. That's what we hear. Until we start telling the truth, until we start reporting accurately, the war on police in this country will continue. All right, I need to switch gears because we are out of time and I want to focus on my 10-7 segment. Again, if you're just for the first time listening to this show, 10-7 means out of service, typically at the end of your shift, you say, show me 10-7. But of course, when an officer's killed in the line of duty, the old saying is 10-7 for the remainder. And this one is a little sad. And when, when I just saw it and I read it, made me think how many times this could have been me or I could have been involved in something like this because I was a runner, I was a gunner, I chase cars all the time. Pursuit is part of policing. It's a very dangerous part of policing, but it happens because bad guys flee. But it's very rare that an officer, well, let me rephrase that. Officers get killed during pursuits quite a bit, but it's very rare that the person that killed the officer, unfortunately, was another officer. And that just adds so many layers to this case. So police officer Diego Moreno Kent Police Department in Washington State. His end of watch was this past Sunday, July 22nd. Police officer Diego Moreno was struck and killed by a patrol car while deploying spike strips 
during a vehicle pursuit. The pursuit started after officers began investigating the sounds of gunfire they heard in the area of a mobile home park. They attempted to stop a pickup truck leaving the area, but the driver refused to stop and led officers on a pursuit along Route 516. Officer Moreno was attempting to deploy spike strips at the intersection of Route 16 and Meeker Street when he was struck by one of the patrol cars involved in the pursuit. The patrol car then crashed into several parked vehicles. The truck continued to flee but crashed a short distance away. One of the occupants in the vehicle was apprehended while two others fled and remained at large. Officer Moreno had served with the Kent Police Department for eight years. It doesn't mention if he has a wife or children in this write-up, but he has a family somewhere in the state of Washington or wherever his family may be. But more importantly, he has his family, his brothers and sisters in blue. I cannot imagine what the officer that struck Officer Moreno is going through mentally. Think about that. You're chasing the bad guys who were out shooting. Your brother in blue is laying down spike strips to stop this pursuit. And you end up striking your brother in blue and killing him. I I really cannot imagine what that officer's going through. And I'm sure the individual that was apprehended is going to be charged with the murder of Officer Moreno, and I'm sure the two that got away will be charged as well. We don't know if the one caught was a driver or not, but it was their actions that led to the death of Officer Moreno. So I'm sure they will be charged. But that just goes back to what I said a minute ago. Pursuits are so dangerous. You got so many moving parts when dealing with the pursuit. It's not like you see on TV where cars coming across the intersection stop. And they pitch you. Or if they lay down spike strips, everything works perfectly. Doesn't work that way. That's only in TV and in the movies. Pursuits are very, very dangerous. There's a lot of moving parts. A lot of speed. This officer had no chance to slow down to prevent himself from hitting his fellow officer. So again, I can't imagine what he or she is going through. It doesn't say whether it was a he or she. It doesn't list their name. It doesn't matter because that's hard on anybody. What I will say, my prayers to Officer Diego Moreno. Thank you for your eight years of service in protecting and serving the people of Kent, Washington. My prayers go out to that officer that was involved in this, that struck their brother in blue. Can't imagine what you're going through, but I know you need prayer. I know you need peace of mind. So I'm sending that your way. What I want to send your way is a thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you as always. Thank you for continuing to allow this show to grow to what it has. I appreciate you. I love you. Again, check me out at lawandcrime.com. Check out the cold case spotlight segment on lawandcrime.com. I host Thursdays 3 to 5, Fridays 12 to 3. Check me out there, lawandcrime.com. And on my social media, at Vincent Hill. TV. Thank you. Good night. See you next week. Same time, same place. Radioinfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, 
Get updates on the show. And to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a dark to light with Frank and Beans quick fix on Radio Influence. Listen, I wake up every day. I'm usually very optimistic and happy. And, you know, I, I have a, a very keen kind of feeling and pulse about what's going on. I'm not going to say I'm ready to walk off the diving board or the plank, the proverbial plank. But I do feel today on this Friday a little down. I don't know why. I think it's a combination of ending last night with this really odd immunity, even if it's limited for John Podesta or Tony Podesta. And not so much because that means that he's been granted immunity for for all things in, in life. It's just a little bit more of the fact that you have two guys. You have Paul Manafort, who I really don't care about. But the problem is that it's being done in public. It's being unearthed by a cowboy in this this damn special counsel that is it's only being taken and digested and packaged in one way they're getting closer to something they're getting closer to something and then you have two people paul manafort like i said who i don't really care about at all and he was on the scene so so in such a short manner it really is so inconsequential but on the other hand you're granting immunity to somebody who is literally guilty of the same thing that you're trying to nab manafort for but it's just that one person was a, a, a Trump employee for a, a cup of coffee of his own. And the other one is a Clinton uh, supporter. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play and RadioInfluence.com.